Hey guys, and welcome to Fika with Rice, a podcast about life hacks, inspirational life stories, routines, and keys to success. I'm your host, Frederick Van Huyen, and each week I meet some of the most incredible people in the world from self-made millionaires, best-selling authors, experts, and world-class athletes. My goal is to extract their wisdom, mindset, tools, so you can use them in your daily life, but above all, to inspire you. Let's get this Fika started. Welcome to episode 5 by Fika with Rice. In this episode, I meet Dan Dan Su, a top billing headhunter, real estate investor, and the CEO of DG Recruit. We'll hear the inspirational story about how she grew up in an immigrant family and how her deep desire to become a self-made millionaire turned into reality before she turned 30. An extraordinary inspirational episode filled with gold nuggets and lessons about grit, the price of becoming a millionaire, actionable tips that you can implement in your life today on how to achieve financial independence, network, land a new job, and much more. This is her story. Let's go. And hello, welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, you're one of the coolest recruiters in New York City and someone actually been stalking on Cora for the last few years. Just wanted to let you know that. Um, and I thought to kickstart this by asking you, how was your mother growing up and what influence did she have on you growing up? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So my mother is an incredible person who has been a great role model. She's an immigrant that came from China to the U.S. And she taught me everything, literally everything. I mean, she's such, I'm so blessed to have a mother like her. And we've had our good days and our bad days, obviously growing up in America and as the daughter of an immigrant who really doesn't have the same worldview. We had a very contentious relationship during high school. She's very academically focused, like always pushed me to focus on academics and achievement. Um, but she also at the same time taught me about practicality and how important it is to survive financially as a woman and an independent woman. She taught me Women are strong, women are powerful, women are financially savvy, uh, she's brave, very fearless, even though her English isn't very good, she's extremely powerful when it comes to communicating with people. She's like under five feet, but people take her very seriously and she scares, still to this day, scares me. So she's not a woman to be messed around with and she taught me everything, everything I know. That's really nice to hear. Uh, so when you were growing up, I know that you were born in China, in northeast of China, but what did you think you were going to do when you, when you were grow, growing up per se? What did you want to accomplish and what were some of your childhood dreams? Yeah, I, I, again, because my mom was, we came to America to make a money, right? Because in China at the time, we we're coming out of communism, coming into the private, like private commercial business. Um, even though my family did pretty well in China, they wanted to come to the U.S. because the U.S. dollar was so valuable and was so much more than the yuan at the time. So from a very young age, I understood money. Money really matters. Uh, we grew up in a very wealthy neighborhood because my parents were the babysitters, live-in babysitters of a very wealthy family. And that is the only reason why I got to grow up in a really top-notch, affluent city, uh, Brookline, Massachusetts, because of this family that allowed us to live there. And the, the woman of the family, she is extremely wealthy, very successful, self-made, um, CEO of a major, major corporation. Um, she's since retired, but 
I thought she was at the time, she was just starting her climb into the apex of her career. And I just remember at a very young age, admiring her and just being like, this is the boss. This is the boss. She is the boss. And she's the boss of everyone. She has hundreds and thousands of people that report to her. I just remember being like power, right? So power and money. Those are two things that I was very familiar with. Um, and she, so from, from that perspective, my goal always was to get rich ever since I was little. Yeah, that sounds really inspirational. I, I think all of us have like mentors when we're growing up or people that we're looking up to. And that really shapes us into who we become, you know. And I mean, I've been checking you out online. I've done my homework, right? And you're this person who became a multimillionaire before you turned 30. And can you tell us how? What happened? You had these big dreams. You all you wanted to do when you grew up was to make money, make your parents proud, make your mom proud. Uh, what happened? So it was a very interesting journey because I think everyone gets there differently, right? So I started off not knowing what I was going to do after graduation. I, I was very much following the path, the traditional path for a while. I really broke off after graduating college because most people go and get like a regular like nine to five salary job um, and I was reading a lot of books when I graduated like self-help books you know all of these ideas are all surrounded around like sales ends up being all salespeople. they end up being all somebody selling something and making money off of selling something and that makes sense right how can you make money if you can't sell something how can you make money if you can't get someone to give you money so you usually have to sell something to get something. So I was like, okay, maybe I should try sales. So I just started exploring. I started exploring all different types of sales jobs. I considered real estate sales. I considered um, wealth management. So I went and interviewed and I even tried, I got my real estate license, tried to sell real estate, try to understand all of these sales careers. So in the beginning, when I tried real estate sales, I didn't like it at all because the math didn't work out. Like I would do the calculation of the commission and it literally was like, wow, you're never going to really make any serious money in this business. Like you, the only way to make money in selling real estate in the US, in my terms, the kind of money I wanted, which was six figures plus, you would definitely have to sell million dollar plus houses immediately, like as soon as possible. And that's how you could get the commission you want. And I'm like, this is going to take forever. Like I'm 21, 22. Who am I going to talk to that has million dollar homes for me to sell? Why would they give it to me to sell? That's odd, right? Like, so it's unrealistic. So that, that path to me, not, not a path. The second path I looked at, financial wealth sales. Why not sell financial wealth products, right? Like talk to people, hey, do you need help with your 401k? Do you need help with your insurance? And I didn't want to do that either because there's a lot of like tests that you have to do. So series six, series seven, like these financial tests. And I'm like, I suck at this stuff. I'm, there's no way I'm going to pass it because I don't care. And then another thing is like, I don't want people telling me what to do, right? You, there's only so much you can say or do when it comes to financial products. There's a lot of limitations from a regulatory perspective. Well, I don't like this product either. I don't want to sell this. So as I was just thinking and thinking, I just kept trying, trying different things, kept hustling on the side, doing like my eBay sales and whatnot. Um, and by fate, literally by fate, I fell into doing recruiting. And when I applied to a job, I was just applying to lots and lots and lots of jobs. And somebody hit me up and was like, hey, we got your application. Like you are in no way, sh shape or form qualified for any of our jobs. But have you actually thought about being a recruiter? And I was like, I uh, don't know what that is. They're like, well, we're headhunters. And I'm like, no idea what that means. 
And then they were like, okay, well, basically you sell people. Like you sell people to jobs and then you sell the job to the person. That is how headhunting works. And then you get a commission. And I was like, that sounds like a scam. I, I literally it. thought like, yeah, I was like, this is not real. This is fake. Like, first of all, this is a scam. So I thought it was a scam. They offered me $35,000 in New York in 2011, which I was like, oh, that's a scam because like that is too low to live in New York City. So I just knew this is a scam. Um, at the same time, I met somebody at a club. I was young. I was like, oh, I want to go and date this person. He lives in New York. My, my good girlfriend was like, go and move there. Who cares? Like if it fails, you go back home. I was like, you're right, whatever, let's do it. And so I, I literally just for, for this random guy, essentially, as a big driving force, I moved to New York and started the job. The relationship didn't even start. It fizzled upon, like just completely fizzled. But the job, I was like, oh my God, it's not a scam. Very quickly, my first day at work, I was like, this is a real company and this is a real career. So honestly, I didn't do any homework. I didn't do any research. I just did it. Um, and it worked out. I immediately was like, this is my ticket because the math worked out. You look at um, the commission rates and you're just like, this is very lucrative. This would actually be my vehicle. So right away, I had a different approach. I looked at this as my meal ticket. So I had to make this happen. I had to really learn it. I couldn't take any shortcuts, right? If my boss told me to do something, I had to do it with or without him supervising me, right? So it was that approach of being really, really accountable and taking it very seriously because this was going to be my like vehicle. If I do all three steps, earn more than the average person, save more than the average person, invest more than the average person, then I will beat the average right? I will like naturally beat the wealth accumulation speed uh, because you're just doing everything so much more and you're doing all of them. You're not skimping on any step. So you kind of need all three steps to get rich. Um, and I was able to kind of do them in that order and do that within like four to five years, you know, just of consistency, of sticking with it too, right? That's the problem. If you just have one good year and you quit, then you're not going to have a continuation of the wealth accumulation pattern, yes. right? So the last ingredient is consistency. You just can't do that for one year. You have to do it always. Um, and so it's just a mentality that you have to set. Um, and I kind of figured that out in my 20s. When everyone was working like nine or 10 hours per day, did you put in those extra hours because you saw this as your meal ticket and you were willing to like just like push through, do extra hours just to learn the ins and out of the industry? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. From the, well, this is like kind of, you're supposed to work when we started, I think it was like nine to six. Okay. So every day I'd get into the office around like maybe 8.30 and I would stay till 8.30 or nine. So every day I would stay extra couple hours. Um, every single day. And then on weekends, I would stay, in the, I would come to the office. I wouldn't work a full day, but I would work like a good amount of the day. Um, and the whole reason was to, because I wanted to shortcut the amount of time it would take to get really, really good at the job, right? The more time you invest in something, you might as well just do it all, all in, like right away, right? Because like stretching it out over time is kind of a waste of time. Right. So I was just like, my goal was to make money. So it was like, I got to outwork. I got to shortcut the circuit. Right. I got, I got to work harder, not really to compete, but more so to just get myself up to speed. 
right? So like, because recruiting is very manual, you have to do a lot of manual administrative work. So that's the time wasted if I do it during the day in a working hours, right? So instead of working hours, I could be making phone calls and getting training and like, you know, having a lot of activity. So at night I do all the admin stuff. I add all the candidates. I do all this like email sending. So that's kind of the rhythm that I got into for a very long time. I would work six days a week. I got used to just doing that and doing that. And the rewards paid off because I take the weekends to drive, to meet my candidates, meet these people that I would eventually place and make money off of because they're not free Monday through Friday. They're free on Saturday and Sunday. So I made time to see them. That gave me the edge to eventually corner the market and monopolize the whole entire network so that when it came time to place people, I was their top recruiter. I was like the only person in their mind because I took the time on Saturday to drive out to meet them, to take them out for coffee or lunch, sometimes meeting their children and hanging out with their families, right? So this is that extra thing that I nobody did in my office. Nobody did this. Um, and this is something I just did. So I was like, I knew this is going to make money. Like, this is a relationship business. This is like pretty obvious to me that my Saturday is going to be so much more lucrative if that's how I spend it versus hanging out, walking around a park and going shopping, right? Which I didn't have the luxury to do anyways. Yeah, down, down a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of young listeners out there who just graduated or people that are below 30 or listening to this. And I mean, what I'm seeing as well, a lot of people out there, they, they are not willing to push in the, the extra hours. That creates anxiety. It creates extra pressure today. What would you tell them? I mean, again, do what you feel is comfortable to your goals, right? Because not everybody has to do what I did because everyone has a different level of privilege, right? If you have family that has money and they pay for stuff, you do not have to do what I did at all right? Because you have a different level of privilege. So I have a different level of privilege too. I have some privilege as well, right? So everyone has a different situation and you need to do what's best for your situation, right? You need to evaluate everything in your life that's going to make you happy and tie it all together, right? Because from a very young age, I knew I would not be happy working a great job at a bank, I already knew that. I was just like, this is not going to make me happy because I've already interned at these kind of companies and I hated it, right? So my, everybody else is like, this is great. This is going to be like your meal ticket. This is, this is the goal. The goal is to get a $75,000 job at, at JP Morgan. Ooh, oh, this is so sexy. Everybody wants this. Your parents are going to be proud of you. Everybody do this. Or like in my case, it's like the immigrant, right? Oh, I want you to go to law school. My mom almost like disowned me. She's like, oh, if you don't go to law school, I will kill you. I will literally <laughs> disown you. She, and I was like, and today, I look yeah. back today, I talked to my mom and she's like, you're lying. I never said that. I was very <laughs> supportive, very supportive of you. And they rewrite history. They won't do that. They will do that as you get older. Okay, so I think for young people, the strategy is to look at your personal skill set and yes, rebel against your parents sometimes, right? Like, again, take it with a grain of salt. Right. In my case, I constantly fought against my mom because she's very independent. So am I. So she taught me to be independent. So she created a monster. Right. So we constantly like butt heads because I'm like, you don't make any sense. Like you're trying to guide me, but you don't even know America. You don't know the system. So you don't understand the system and you're trying to tell me how to behave in a system that I grew up in. I know the system. 
I kind of have my own plan, right? So I think, again, you just have to do what makes you understand that you're going to make it work, right? Like, cause I knew, Hey, if I failed this sales job, you know what I could do instead? I could just sell stuff on eBay. That literally was my backup. I was like, I just sell stuff on eBay. Cause I've been doing that all of college. That's how I paid for college. I paid for all of my college expenses through selling stuff on eBay. So I was like, you know what? If worst case scenario, I have a backup plan, right? And I just felt the confidence that like, I knew I would survive. And I think that's the biggest thing when you're so young and you've grown up in a system. Most of us come from middle to lower class. So we're, we're growing up this middle-class approach. That's very much like elementary school, high school, college. If you don't do college, you will literally be dying on the street. That's, that's how I market it. That's how this marketed to me. If you don't go to college, there's not even a question of going to college or not, right? It's just like, if you don't go, you will be like nobody. You'll literally be dead, dead. You did just like your future is over. And that's not true. It's just simply not true. And I saw that in recruiting. Some of my managers were 22 years old. They have been working in recruiting for four years. They were already at VP level, making over 200,000 a year with high school degrees. So again, in certain career fields, most likely sales, if you are adept at speaking to people and you have the basic skill set of reading and writing, you just have to look at your personal experience, your personal risk tolerance, like what is your backup plan? How are you going to make it work? Uh, because unfortunately, sometimes, yeah, things don't go the way you want to. In my story, in my case, it worked out because I forced it. I made it. I put in all the time and effort, focused everything on it. You know, again, I see a lot of people going into a sales job and they have this vision and they want, now I recruit recruiters. That's my job now. That's my company now. And I talk to a lot of recruiters who are like, I want to be rich. I want to be successful. Then you talk to them and you understand, well, they don't really have to be. They, their family is like decently well off. And then you realize, okay, you could also be happy getting a regular job at like 70,000. You just ask them a test question. Like, would you also be happy if today I gave you a job at $80,000 a year flat? And then they'll say, yeah, that sounds great. And I'm like, so you failed the test, right? Because the test is, do you want, do you have this big dream in your heart? And then they are lying to themselves. They're saying, yes, I have a big dream. And then you ask them, what does this big dream look like? And then lay $80,000 a year. That is not a big dream in our standards. Right in the sales world, big dreams means I want to be a millionaire. That's that's the expected answer. Like I want to be a millionaire. That that is the sales question, right? If you're just like working a regular job, that probably isn't even a driving factor, right? If you're going to law or medicine, you shouldn't be going in for the money. That is the wrong driver, right? So again, every career has different motivators and drivers, and you have to be authentic with yourself to know that that is a true driver for you. Otherwise, you're signing up for the wrong vehicle. And if you don't have that kind of ruthlessness in a way, at least the willingness to have that kind of fight in you, that's not a good career path, right? You should, you should figure it out earlier, like prevent yourself from making mistakes by being just a little bit more thoughtful instead of following other people just telling you, hey, do this. This would be good for you. You should do that. And I think so many people, because society tells them, oh, you're this, you're this, you're this, they actually start believing it. And then they have a lot, they lost their, their own vision of themselves, their own understanding. And for too long, they would just do what other people say. So that, that's, yeah, that it takes courage to not do what other people say, because a lot of people are going to be mad at you. It's true. I think definitely a lot of people in today's society and with social media and all, all of that, you know, 
they're listening to this all external void, you know, and instead they should be going inside, inside themselves and looking to, you know, listen to that little voice inside your heart and your, in your, in your belly. So, but, um, Dan, you, you spoke about something really interesting, which was saving, you know, a lot of people don't talk about that. Like what would be like two, three, like actionable advices on how like a 22 year old, or I don't know, a 33 year old could start saving. Because to be frank, most people, they get a paycheck and they spend it. And then, you know, next month they get another paycheck and they'll spend it. So number one, you brought up a great point. It's this mentality of paycheck to paycheck, right? When people spending are spending their paycheck, they are agreeing, they're making a contract with themselves that they're okay with working forever. Because if that's the approach, I, I get a paycheck or I spend the paycheck, then the agreement that you're signing up for, whether or not you know it, is I will be working for a long, long time. That, that is the goal. That, because unfortunately, you're not living in a way that would afford you to not work, right? So that scares me. Just the thought of having to work, be reliant. Because again, going back to your first question, my mother taught me to be independent. And from a very young age, I was like, I got to find a way to sh sh make a shortcut. I don't want to be like everybody else stuck in a job, living on a paycheck. So uh, right away, I wanted to be anti-paycheck oriented, right? I never want, I'm happy that like Friday comes along and I get my paycheck, but I'm not celebrating it. So like that, that's the first like mentality, right? If you look at money as simply an exchange of your time, for something you want frivolously, then you will be working for a very, very long time because there's just no limit to what you could want frivolously in today's material environment, right? So the only way to really withdraw from that mentality, because it's the mentality that's the problem. So it's not the how-to. The how-to comes after the mental, the mind shift of like how you view yourself, right? So yeah, so there's this whole idea that like, I don't want to keep working that long. I want to save and I want to invest as soon as possible. So the first step that the best way to do that is to decrease um, your pride, right? Because when you start getting into this frugal lifestyle, you have to combat against so many societal norms, right? So in America, consumerism and like popularity and looking good, looking great, is so important that I need to get mascara and I can't just get a $5 mascara, mascara from the CBS. I need to get like a specific brand from Sephora that's now $30 instead of $5. So it's all of these little things that add up um, that really, really rob you of your financial independence because it's, you're paying so much. So my strategy was I'm not going to buy mascara really at all. So like that just wasn't part of my budget. Like I just don't, I don't need makeup. So as a woman, that's like a first step to save a lot of money, right? Like I don't want to invest in high-end hair products. I don't want to invest in clothing. I just don't care what you think of me. Like that was my first step. It was like, I literally don't care. I wear the same pants to work every single day. Like that's just what I did when I first started recruiting. Cause I was like, I don't have money for multiple pairs of pants. And I will not go and purchase them because I have not made money from this endeavor yet. I don't owe anybody the way I look. So that was like the first like mental shift was like, I don't care what people think of me. 
So that allowed me to save money on my outward appearance. And more importantly, in New York, it allowed me to save money on where I chose to live. So New York is very classist. I'm sure every single city is. Every single big city is very snob, 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 snob. Right. So everyone's like, do you live in Manhattan? And I'm like, no, I don't. I live in Sunset Park in Brooklyn. And they're like, where is that? I'm like, exactly. It's none of your business. It doesn't matter. Like I chose a really cheap place to live that fit in my budget. My rent was under 750 a month, which is really cheap considering Manhattan for shared, you pay 14, you pay double. And so for the longest time I lived there, I lived there for 10 years. I didn't upgrade. I didn't change my lifestyle. I just kept, I was just like, there's no need. Like I had roommates. I didn't mind that. So again, that's privilege. Like I don't mind living with people. I can also manage uh, my roommates like in that experience, right? So for those reasons that, that allowed me to save so much money. And then like just even furniture. I joke about this, but like every single, like saving money is everything. It's not just one thing everything. It's how you look at your whole life. So furniture, it would not even cross my mind to go into a furniture store. Like I would just go straight to Craigslist, like just right away to like, you know, Facebook marketplace, like what is around here? And I would never give them what they ask. I would always give them half. Oh, you want to sell bed for 80? How about 30? And take it from there. <laughs> like, so every single way was just saving. So everyone's spending a thousand dollars on a mattress. I'd, I'd get some, maybe even for free. Like I would, and I'm shameless about it. I just, that's just what I'll do. Like, I don't care that someone else slept in this bed before. I just gonna wrap a mattress protector on it. Like, it really doesn't matter to me. Like, I just need to sleep on it. That's it. I'm not looking to live on this bed. Right. So I think marketing like you just have to avoid all the mainstream marketing where it's like, no, your bed is your sanctuary. You need to spend a thousand dollars on this item. It's like, no, I don't. Like I could just buy, spend $30 and buy it off of someone who spent a thousand on it. Like same difference, except just, you know, it's just a mentality of the pride comes down to like how you look at pride and humility, right? Because to everyone that looks different, right? So like me, the pride, like I'm not humble in the sense that I'll tell you everything I've done. Right. But I'm very humble when it comes to like how I live, because like that's not something I take pride in. I don't care. Right. So I, I think it's just understanding, like, what are the different aspects of your life that you're willing to sacrifice and happily make those sacrifices? Because, you know, you're 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 doing something for a greater achievement. Right. And when it comes to money, I think, again, the last tip in terms of saving money is to have a limit limits on what you're doing. The biggest difference for me when it came to like managing like my finances would be like, I will not use a taxi. Just something as simple as that. Like it was just like a zero tolerance, like because I was a 35K base. Like, again, you just like, you only have like a thousand dollars to like pay for your rent, which is 750. And then you have a couple hundred left, right? So it was like breakfast. What would I eat? I ate $1 worth of like Chinese bakery. Like that's all. I just go to the Chinese bakery, get like one hot dog. That's breakfast. Lunch. Subway sandwiches, $5, that's it. Like everything was just like very clear. Like this is the most I'll spend. I think for so many people, saving money is shameful. It's like, wow, you're poor. Oh, you have to save money like, like a pauper. It's like, no, this is how you get rich, dummy. Like you get rich by being... Yeah. Like, so it was like, everyone made fun of me. Cause I come home with like three packets of food that I got on 50% and they'd be like, oh, 
And I'm like, yes, it doesn't, again, I don't care how you feel about my actions, right? I know what I'm doing this for. And I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for my future. I'm not going to be where you are today. So there's a bit of arrogance there too, a bit of self-confidence. And my mom taught me this. She would always say this. My mom was like, I look everywhere I go and I would think to myself, I will not be here in a couple of years. Like the rest of you might still be here. I will not. Like I'm always going to go up and up and up. I'm always going to be exiting every single stratosphere. So that's something that stood with me. It's like, it doesn't matter how you feel because I am leaving eventually. You may not. So that's why I have to do things differently, right? It just gives you that extra confidence to be different and to enjoy being different. I love the, I love those stories, Dan Dan. I really love them. And I resonate a lot with them. You know, when we started out with Absolute Internship and you mentioned Starbucks and, you know, Starbucks is expensive if you think about it, you know? So me and my partner will be like, I will be, I was shameless. I was like, hey, I'm not going to get two Americanos, you know, that's like more expensive than getting one large. So let's just get one large and we'll share it. You know, that was it, you know, and imagine that's like you save a few bucks every day, you know. So yeah. I love that story. I love that story. Dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you can, you can definitely treat yourself as things progress, right? As things progress, I obviously started spending more money and started doing things and eating things, but you had already established the foundation. They gave you that, that luxury mindset. to do that. I mean, you have to have that yeah. single mindset. I think you're, what you're saying is right. A lot of young people today, they don't have that mindset. You know, they're ashamed. They, they're seeing all this like lavish lifestyles on social media. They want to have yeah. that. They think you need to have this bag. They think you need to get that apartment. They, yeah. You need to live in a specific area of the, of the city. So, yeah, I think there's yeah. a lot of good nuggets there, you know, for, for the listeners. What would you say, what would you advise people that are looking for their first job? Well, people who are looking for their first job, I would say the first thing that, again, mindset wise, the most important mindset is that you're going to have to work harder than everybody else. Like if you don't have already a track record or something, you just have to like be ready and prepared to do whatever it takes and to prioritize this. Right. So if your goal is to get a job, um, then there should be all, all of your time and effort should be spent doing that until you get what you want, because a job is not like a hobby. It's not like something that you could just be like, oh, in my free time, I'm going to go and address this. But if you don't have a job, finding a job, finding a career, finding like learning, um, that's your number one goal. Really try to be brave. That's the, uh, another mindset shift is like start reaching out to people. Like start actually like putting yourself out there. Putting yourself out there doesn't mean just applying for a job. It means actually like finding people and pummeling them with messages to be like, hey, I'm a graduate or hey, I'm going to school. Hey, I just need a chance. Like I'll work for free if I have to, right? All these things are ways that you can get your foot in the door. So again, just depends on, and I feel like this is like classic news. This is what everybody says in terms of like advice, right? But the actual strategy is really to get people to respond to you. Um, and I think the know-how part is important to that. So 
And the technique isn't to send a message to somebody with a you know multi-paragraph. Hi, my name is Mary. I am uh, really interested in media relations. I have a graduate degree and blah. I would really like to do X. Your company really it attracts me because of Y. I would love to talk to you because of Z. And then before you know it, it's like you know five-page like monologue. So that is the wrong approach. I think that's what a lot of people are doing today. They're copy and pasting all of this stuff. Um, and that's not cute. Like companies don't respond well to that. Instead, I think the know-how piece, the technical suggestion is, hi, I am really interested in whatever company. Your background really impressed me. I would wonder, I was wondering if I could offer you a virtual coffee to catch up. Like I would really love to pick your brain. Start paying people for access to them. Right? I would love to take you out for lunch. We both live in this city. Like cities are opening, obviously, just, just depends on where you live. But it, it could be as simple as, hey, I'm just starting out. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I would love to um, invite you to a virtual lunch um, and, and just pick your brain. That is an approach that nobody is taking. Everyone's just going for the free approach. Like if I was a hiring manager, someone's going to buy me lunch, even if I make X dollars a year. That's really cute to me because like so many people don't do that. Everybody else is sending me messages where it's like me, 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 me. I'm, I'm sad. I'm lonely. You come help me. Yes. Right. And instead just offer me something, right? Like, Hey, I saw on your website, this link is broken. I would love to help give you a free rest, whatever field you want to get into. Chances are you can find your customer already who has a need for your skill, right? So it's just about finding, Gary Vee is very inspirational in this area, like Gary Vaynerchuk, right? If you come to someone, you're like, hey, I wanna help you fix this thing for free. Um, let me show you what I can do. Or is that person more likely to get a job than someone who's sending out thousands of messages offering zero value? Absolutely, that person only has to send out maybe 30, 40 reach outs and they're booked, right? So it's just about what are you offering people? It's the biggest takeaway I take from that long answer, Dun Dun, is that, you know, using finesse and being selfless, you know, not selfish, but selfless to try to actually add value, you know, and not like just think of you when you're looking for that job. So like, that's a great advice for the people out there. But how about, let's say that you're 29 and you're stuck in your job and you're like, well, you lost motivation due to the pandemic or whatever. What would you tell somebody like that? I think everybody, like myself included, we all have gone through ups and downs during the pandemic, right? Right. So especially in negative scenarios, it's a chance to rebuild and like re restart, right? In in the you can't get any lower than what we experienced last year. It, it's just like the worst. Like everything horrible had happened last year, and either you can again in just any circumstance, like. You can either let it like take take you and be ashamed. Again, that shame I think is a lot to do with it, right? Last year, my family's restaurant, my dad um, left to kind of like travel the world right before pandemic hit. And my mom was really mad because she's running the restaurant by herself. Then the pandemic hit, all of her employees had to go home because of, you know, we didn't want to get infected. So my mother and my aunt, both of them in their mid sixties, they're in the restaurant working harder than they ever have had to work um, in uncertain financial times. And they're working 12, 13, 14 hour days, you know, six days a week. And that last year I had to 
I had to run my business, but I had to go home and help them run their restaurant. So I'm in the kitchen using a walk, walk, cooking, you know, the whole time um, and running my recruiting business. So literally on the phone, I'll have my AirPods. I'll be taking a call while I'm walking, right? While I'm cooking some freaking low main for somebody, right? So it's like, I could either drown in my shame. Oh my God, here I am, you know, self-made millionaire, millennial. I have to slave away and cook for people and I'm doing a menial job. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm proud of them. You have to look at it differently, right? Like whatever happens to you, why are you, why is the option to be negative better versus positive, right? Why is that better for you? Like, what good does that do? Well, like there has to be a reason why you're looking at it negatively, right? Why is that beneficial to you, right? Biologically, we have this bias towards pessimism because of, you know, primitive, you know, humans didn't want to get killed by lions. But we're in the modern era, right? Like there's no lions anymore. So like, why does that mentality benefit you? So that's literally what happened last year. For months, I'm in the kitchen. I'm like working. I'm wearing, you know, that like oil all over my body. My arms are sore from like walking. And I tell my clients and candidates, I'm like, this is where we're at. This is what I'm up to. Right. And people appreciate that because you're just, you're, it is what it is. You know, I think pride is a dangerous thing. And especially in bad times, you know, rewriting the narrative, being the hero of your story, mm-hmm, making yeah. yourself the main character, you know, and, and, like painting that picture, taking control of your life versus just dwelling in the negativity. Because if you want to play that game, there's no limit. It's- there's no limit. Yeah, like you, you, you could be the worst person, the worst off in the world. Like it's just about how you look at your life, right? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can always be the, oh my God, I have the worst life. I have it worse than everybody, right? Well, that's factually not true. There are people that are much worse off than you. Point. So most uh-huh. people, they're... Yeah, they're just complaining about something, which we all do. I do too. It's human nature. But we have we have to also try to correct ourselves. Yeah, it's all about perspective. Um, Noah's perfect. It's true. Yeah, I'm negative all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I I have a lot of problems too. I have lots of problems. Like life isn't just perfect. It's not like you reach a level. Yeah, like everyone has problems and issues with motivation, right? Issues with motivation. I have issues with motivation and concentration too, right? Because once you get to a certain level, then it's like, why work any harder? Like that, that comes to mind. Like I don't have to work as hard as I used to. I really don't. Like, so it's hard to get that motivation always, right? So you always have to look for different areas of inspiration and just be okay with it. Like you're never going to be perfect. Like aiming for perfection, having a perfect day plan, having the perfect schedule, having like the perfect goals, having the perfect like execution. It just doesn't work out like that. You know? So if perfection is your goal, it's a very dangerous goal to have. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a good answer. It's a really good, very thoughtful answer, Don Don. I just have a few more questions uh, for you. Uh, I mean, that story of you walking and speaking on the phone, I just love that uh, because my family, I mean, my parents, they, they were blue collar workers back in Sweden. They worked in a freaking factory, you know, like it's hard work, but you know, we're able to save up after 10 years. Uh, you know, buying a little restaurant. And I remember that's like, it's hard work working in a restaurant, you know? So a lot of respect for you, Dandan, and, and your, your mom Thank and your you. aunt and your father. Um, Dandan, 
I mean, you're in recruitment and we all hear how important networking is. What are your top three best advices on how you can build your network if you never networked? And how can one do that in a post-COVID world? Yeah. So building a network depends on like what, again, you're doing it for, right? Like why do you need to build a network and how are you going to build it? Um, So I think the first step is like most people, they don't actually need to build a network. They just need enough to get their first opportunity. Then they need to make the most of that opportunity and then leverage that to network. So let's say you did that. Let's say it's like, okay, because not every, like networking is not a priority all the time. It's only a priority when you kind of think you're going to need it soon and you want to kind of keep tabs on people, right? Like, so when it comes to, if you're a successful professional, eventually you're going to have to deal with headhunters, right? So that's like kind of like knowing who they are, talking to them, giving them a chance. I say the best way to approach networking is to always have a list of questions ready to ask somebody, right? So like during networking calls, you never want the person just to be selling to you blindly, And if they do that, that means they're very like low level networker, right? Smart salespeople, smart communicators drive conversations through question asking, right? So they'll, they'll ask you some questions and you want to gain control of the conversation. You need to have a general plan of what you're looking to get out of the exchange as well, right? And be again, shameless in asking the questions that you want the answers to. Because a lot of times people, again, during these networking conversations, they're so busy just being nice and friendly that they don't really get anything out of it. So yeah. like the point, of, the point of networking is to get something out of it too and ask for what you need, right? Ask for what you want. So find a way of how to do that. That's usually towards the end of the conversation. That's when you start asking for stuff. This has been a great conversation. I would love to you know, keep in touch with you. Have a call to action, right? CTA. What's your call to action? Can I have your email so that I can send you a thank you gift, like via like a thank you gift card? I really do appreciate the time spent with me. Um, you know, whatever it is. Oh, maybe we can meet for coffee. Maybe that's a CTA. Maybe we can meet up in the pers- in the future, right? Whatever it is, like have your strat like your goals set out clearly so that when you're done with the conversation, A, you you got the information because you asked the tough questions and B, you set up some sort of follow-up plan. And maybe that includes like a referral pitch. Hey, if you know someone else in this field or you come prepared to that networking meeting and you saw already in advance what mutual contacts you had. Hey, I was wondering if you had any connections in, in the Apple network or the Facebook network. Like it would be so great if you, you wouldn't mind um, just sharing my profile with some of them if they are open. Right. I'd love to see if there's anything. What can I do to make your life easier? Right. What can I do? Can I send you a resume? Can I send you a note? Like, should we connect on LinkedIn? What works best for you? I have like a customer service oriented mindset to your object that's providing the resource. This doesn't change. The technology platforms does not change how human interactions go. Right. It does not change anything. It's, It's still about what you say, how you say it, and what does a person perceive out of what you listed? Like we talked about earlier, when you send me a big blurb of something, I know you copy and pasted that. Like, yes. I'm not stupid. I know you didn't just write this off the cuff and it's, and it's like a generic thing, right? So actually a mass market approach for someone who isn't really like mainstream, right? So if you're looking to get in somewhere, you need to get more customized, more bespoke, more like targeted versus like, hi, I'm this great person. Read all about my bio. 
Now you book a time, right? <laughs> so I think it's just about being realistic, understanding human interaction, setting up a process that works um, and putting it to execution. Yeah, that's some great, good advices. Good advices, Don Don. It's been great. It's been a lot of great nuggets, uh, a lot of wisdom, you know, out there. Thank you for sharing all your, your knowledge, your wisdom, and uh, your stories. It's been really inspirational. Thank you, Don Don. Um, all right. Absolutely. So where can people find out, uh, find out a little bit more about yourself and where can they go and say hello to you on social media? And is there anything you would sure. like to check out in particular? Yeah, I mean, I have all, I'm trying to do a better job with social media. So Insta is my name and DG, DondonZDG. That's the handle that you can find me personally. My company's called DG Recruit. If you follow that, you will also be able to see literally everything I post. LinkedIn is where I post a lot of my content. So you can check out the LinkedIn URL, linkedin.com slash IN slash DondonZoo. I'm like old enough that it has my full name. So you can just go ahead and look me up, uh, add me, follow me, um, and, and just send me questions. You know, you can always reach out to email contact at dgrecruit.com. Send me what you need. And I do take private coaching clients as well. So I have many different facets of my business, including um, the private coaching service, as well as the podcasts. So Daily Don Don, I haven't updated in a while. DG Recruit is more about recruitment, but Daily Don Don has a lot of good nuggets that if you're looking for just some general how-tos on leveraging recruiters, learning more about career planning, Daily Don Don is a good podcast to start. Um, and then that will at least give you a chance to learn a lot about the general philosophy and approach that I handle when it comes to career coaching. And of course, if you have any questions, again, email probably is the best way. Contact at dgrecruit.com. Sounds good. Thank you, Don Don. It's been okay. awesome to have you on the show. I really appreciate your Thank valuable you. time. And uh, I'm sure our audience has appreciated your amazing story and actionable, actionable advices and, and tips as well. So keep up the, the great work and, and take care. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fika with Rice. I hope you enjoyed the show. Who do you want to have on our show? Let us know by sending me an email at frederick at absoluteinternship.com. And before you go, if you like this conversation, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or Spotify to get to listen to more inspirational stories and life hacks. We really appreciate it. See you next time and much gratitude for listening.